Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Food Flow, the podcast dedicated to the in-depth exploration of the beautiful world of food. My name is Ivor Margerison from thefoodflow.com, and I am joined here today by a pioneer in a seemingly bizarre facet of food. He is the executive director and president of Little Herds, a nonprofit dedicated to the advocacy and education of edible insects. Robert Nathan Allen. Arne, great to have you on the show. Great to be here, Ivor. So uh, before we before we go any further, why don't you just kind of tell us what we're talking about with edible insects? I mean, what's that mean? When we're talking about edible insects, we're generally going to be talking about insects that people are eating. So insects for food. But we could be talking about insects that are used as a livestock feed. And when we're talking about insects for food, for people, we're really talking about insects that have been farmed or grown specifically for human consumption. So specifically, we're talking about insects that their purpose is for, like you said, not necessarily humans to eat, but humans to use, I guess you could say. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and so and that's that's the topic of today's talk. And we're going to be exploring it each step of of the story of edible insects. We're going to start with kind of the culture, their place in history, different cuisines around the world, get into the nutritional properties, touch on some of the sustainability aspects of their cultivation and consumption, discuss the future role that they could play in a sustainable food system in our world and and kind of finish with how to get your hands on some and how to start cooking them up in your own kitchen. Uh, but before we get into that, Arne, I think everyone's kind of probably curious by now how you got into eating bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Total happenstance. I was a, a bartender in Austin, and my mom sent me a video as a joke saying, this looks like something crazy that you and your dad would try, uh, but I'll never do it. And the video talked about eating insects, which was something that I, you know, I think conceptually I, I knew that people did eat insects and, and that, you know, people did it in other countries, but I'd never really thought about it. But the video talked about how nutritious they are, how resource efficient they are, how relevant they are to culinary traditions around the world. And finally, it, it talked about abstracting the insects for hesitant, skeptical Western consumers. And I just thought this, this whole idea was, was brilliant. It was like a light bulb going off. And I, I was really, frankly, quite amazed that more people weren't talking about this, uh, you know, as a food source, as a sustainable food source. And so I, I just started researching everything I could. You know, I'm, I was cold calling entomology departments, talking to professors <laughs> saying, all right, I, I want to eat bugs. I want to put bugs on the menu in Austin. Where do I go? And this was, you know, this was three, four years ago, and it really wasn't something that a lot of people were talking about. And so it's been really exciting to see the idea go from you're crazy to a really legitimate idea that's being looked at by a lot of people. Well, and, and that's that's certainly an exciting time to get into it because, like you said, maybe 10 years ago, you would have uh, just got laughed at for five years and given it up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I guess there was enough traction to potentially lead you to Little Herds. I mean, you founded the, the company? I did. We founded Little Herds in 2013, and we really, we really founded Little Herds to be an education source for the public and really for children. You know, there there were companies that were working on products, there were companies working on farming the insects, but we really wanted to create a place where people could go to find out information about this idea and learn why they should try insects in the first place and where to find them, you know, how to cook with them, 
and and like I said, really educating kids about the idea uh, because kids don't have a lot of times they don't have the psychological taboo built in that you and I have that's just ingrained in our culture that eating insects is gross. The the young kids they try it they they like the flavor they don't care what it is uh, and so if we can educate those kids you know five years ten years twenty years time the next generation of farmers and chefs and entrepreneurs and consumers will be normalized to this idea of insects as just another food well and i, and I think that that's that's the right idea is because like you mentioned uh i think there's obviously a lot of taboos about the idea of people eating insects and we'll and we'll kind of get into that but like you mentioned with the fact that it just kind of clicked for you i think that's what's so interesting about about edible insects and that's kind of how although i'm not you know not quite the edible insect revolutionist that you are uh when i first came across an article that talked about them being a food source it was really like that i was just like how has how did i go through a bachelor's of science without this ever being discussed i mean it's it really seems like a topic and that's what uh and that's actually why i why you know i ended up reaching out to rna today because i feel like this is a message that would click to more people if they hear it and luckily for you guys you don't just have to haphazardly stumble through google searches (laughs) because we have rna himself here and we are going to be getting into it and i think the best place to start is kind of the history the history and the culture of edible insects what role do they play yeah and and it's it's really interesting you know if we're looking back thousands and thousands 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 of years and and let's like go way back when we're talking about primates you know going from four four legs to two legs there's a lot of really interesting anthropological research that's that's looked at early hominids and apes uh, and early early humans really early, early ancestors of humans when you're walking through a field on two legs, that leaves your hands free and you can collect grasshoppers for extra protein as you're walking along. Uh, when you have your, your hands available, you can use tools to dig in a termite mound or an ant mound and get some delicious little protein packets. Uh, and, and really that quality protein, it could be one of the things that helped influence the growth of, of a higher functioning brain. And we know from the, the paleontological records that early humans did eat insects and it, it may have even been a significant part of their diet you know in in the slower season when you haven't caught a mammoth recently you're still able to get some protein from insects and what we've seen you know looking at cultures as we became more agrarian as we uh moved from hunter-gatherer societies to pastoral and agricultural oriented societies and as we moved away from the the tropical band the the practice of entomophagy really dies off so a lot of cultures that are are far north or far south from the equator uh where the insects are smaller and and have really a, a lower return on investment when it comes to their calories the practice really died out well but, and, cer- and cer- well and certainly the i mean fast forward the western cultures as far as us I mean, people getting a little snobbish, right? I mean, is, that's oh, different. absolutely. And you and you can think about, you know, the idea of the Western mindset of I don't want to eat a poor person food, or I don't want to eat a primitive food. I don't want to eat something that's from that different foreign culture. And so that that idea has just kind of been reinforced over and over and over through through the generations. Where in other cultures, like in Central Mexico or in Thailand or in uh, you know the Congo, you have cultures that continue to eat insects and continue to really enjoy eating insects for their flavor as well as their nutrition. Well, and I think, and I think that's kind of the point that you're making here is that they really don't, 
taste bad. It's not like, oh, no, we're starving. We have to eat insects. The times I've had them served up, uh, you know, kind of that street food style they do in Mexico. I mean, they taste good. So it really is a mindset, like you said. And that side of it, that's really what we're working against as far as sparking an edible insect revolution. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about the flavor, you know, if you give some if you give a college student a nice piece of steak and you give the same nice piece of steak to a chef, you're going to get two very different end results. Insects are the same way. If if you don't know how to cook them, which a lot of people don't, then they might not be that tasty. But if we can learn how to cook them and cook them well, uh, you know, or if we go to a restaurant where a chef does amazing things with the food, they can be absolutely delicious. And that's that's where we can get people to start changing their mind because it, all it takes is one bite. Well, in one, one bite uh, properly prepared and properly presented. And I think that's an interesting point that Dan Barber uh, pre-acclaimed uh, sustainability promoting chef in his book, The Third Plate. He talks about this idea of chefs almost being food ambassadors. I mean, they kind of they kind of tell us they choose what's going to become popular almost. So that's kind of maybe the direction that the ins- the insects have to start at, do you think? Absolutely. You know, I, th- I think, like you said, ambassadors, when when we're thinking about the kinds of things that we want to eat, you know, cook in our own home kitchen, a lot of times we're thinking of these really good meals that we've had prepared somewhere else. And whether that's, pr- you know, been prepared at someone else's house or if it's been prepared in a restaurant, it's it's a chef, it's a cook, it's a baker, you know, it's someone who's passionate about the food that's prepared that and really shown us an example of what that food can be. And so, you know, just like sushi 40 years ago was transformed by chefs from a dangerous, disgusting raw fish to this exotic, desirable, <laughs> delicious thing, sushi. You know, chefs can do the same thing for edible insects that they've been able to do with other things like lobster or sushi or, you know, quinoa. And <laughs> and make it a food, I mean, and turn it into a food that's desirable and sought after. And, uh, you know, you get a couple celebrity chefs tossing it around and, you know, it could it could spark a spark a fire pretty quick. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and, and I guess that as far as the culture and them being in cuisines go, you know, obviously a lot of cultures around the world are eating them. But I remember growing up and being told that I was eating them, uh, like the idea that you eat eight spiders every year or something in your sleep. I mean, is that is that are we eating them anyway? Yeah, I mean, pretty much everyone all the time, everywhere is going to be eating insects at some point. You know, whether you're talking about a processed food um, like chocolate or peanut butter, two prime examples. The FDA has a list of, of contaminants that are allowed in all the different foods we eat. You know, everything, like I said, from chocolate and peanut butter to a loaf of bread, to a head of broccoli. There's insect eggs, there's insect fragments. These things get into our food and it's it's inevitable. And it's it's also perfectly natural. Even if you're an organic gardener who's going out in the backyard and picking a head of lettuce that you've grown yourself, there's still going to be insect fragments on there. You're going to eat some aphids or some insect eggs. And that's okay. It's just another food. Well, and it sounds like, I mean, obviously, if we're if we are all eating them, we're all not sick or dying. So uh, obviously, they're not hurting our health. But let's get into the nutrition of it. I mean, if our foods are all being contaminated with insects, I mean, you're potentially saying that insects are nutritious. What are they offering us? Man, really, what don't they offer? That's one of the cool things about this as a food source. We're getting all the stuff we need. We're getting protein, you know, just as much, if not more protein than a lot of the traditional livestock animal protein sources or even some of the plant sources we're used to eating. We're getting a lot of really good fats and not a lot of 
of the, you know, none of the bad trans fats, very few saturated fats, but all the poly and monounsaturated fats, the omega-3s, the omega-6s. Plus, we're going to be getting vitamins like calcium and iron, zinc, potassium, magnesium, all these things that we need. And they're all wrapped up in this tiny little efficient superfood package. <laughs> it sounds like a combination of a multivitamin and a scoop of protein and some healthy fats. It's got everything, huh? Is that what you're trying to <laughs> that what you're saying? It's, it's even got fiber. <laughs> there, well, there you go. So, I mean, so what about, I mean, in the form of one of the big ways it's being sold right now is just a powder, right? I mean, just cricket flour. Is that what, I mean, that's the most common? Yeah. And, and I mean, some people will say cricket flour. Some people will say cricket powder. I think they're pretty interchangeable. We just like to make sure that people know that it's, it's not a, a cricket flour isn't a straight replacement for a regular flour, but you can think of it kind of like an almond flour where you're going to add it into a recipe. You're going to make some substitutions, but you're going to be able to boost and fortify the nutrition of that food by adding in that amount of cricket flour. And what about, I mean, adding in, what what would it be? I mean, do you know specifically, as, I mean, if we're talking a scoop of my protein powder versus, I mean, a scoop of... Is... Yeah, yeah. So like if we're, you know, if we're looking at like your normal protein powders, uh, like a, a soy protein isolate or a whey protein isolate, those are going to generally have a higher protein content because they're an isolate and they've really had everything taken out except the protein. But even though you're getting a little less protein, you're getting a higher quality protein. So you're getting a lot of the amino acids and especially the essential with, amino with acids. With the insects. With the insects. With the insects. Okay. With the cricket flour. Yeah, you're getting the B6 and the B12 vitamins. And then you're going to be getting on the back end beyond the protein, you're getting all of that, that calcium, that iron, the zinc, you know, that you're not going to get from the other protein powders. And when we compare, you know, if we want to compare just the fresh crickets, if, if we're not powdering them and we're comparing the fresh crickets to, you know, ground beef or skinless chicken or Atlantic salmon, the crickets are going to have pretty much comparable protein, a little bit less than beef, but they're going to have way less fat. And they're actually going to have more calcium, more iron, more of all these vitamins and minerals than just about anything except like a, a, a good quality fresh fish. And you don't have to worry about mercury with the crickets. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah, that's not, that sounds like a winner. I mean, and I, well, I think the other thing too is a lot of people, when they, when they break it down black and white, they say X amount of protein and X amount of fat. But there's also the aspect we're kind of seeing now in food is that, uh, you know, not all fats and not all carbohydrates are created equally. So when we get into the bioavailability of it, uh, do insects, are they, I mean, do they stand up in that regard to the other protein sources? And that's one of the areas that we, we really don't know yet because this is such a new, you know, idea as a food source for, for Americans. And we really haven't done a lot of research that needs to be done, you know, on the bioavailability and, and really how the, our, our gut bio, biomes work uh, with this protein. But, you know, at the same time, we're decades behind the research that, that's been done towards, you know, soy and whey and and beef and the way our, our body is able to use that protein. But that's, it's really exciting that this type of research is now being done. And here, you know, I'd, I'd say in the next year, we should have a very accurate picture of how much better the, the insect protein is than all these other traditional sources. Well, and that's what's, that's what's awesome about it. I think that's what's so cool about this, the topic is this, the pioneering, the movement of it, you know, I mean, even though you're so far behind, it's, you know, it's exciting for all the new things that are coming up. Um, it is. It's really <laughs> uncharted, which is, which is cool. It's it's also it's also a little scary, but at the same time, it's it's really exciting. And it was interesting though, because you 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 said traditional in terms of those other meat products, but kind of like we started in the beginning when we were talking about the culture of it, humans around the world have been eating insects and we still do like you said they end up in canned foods and flowers for breads and stuff. anything pretty much ground is ending up with insects in them but also 
animals are all eating them, right? I mean, even animals that we perceive as vegetarians or ruminants, they're consuming insects, right? Oh, sure. Like if you've got a grazing cow out in the field, it's going to inevitably eat some insects. Chickens love to eat insects. It's very much a natural food for them. You know, if you watch your dog play in the backyard, they might be going after crickets or grasshoppers. So they, they certainly play a role in animal vegetarian diets. And I mean, that's that's what I think is kind of interesting with the, the vegan argument for insect protein, which is one of the first things that I had read when I first started reading about edible insects was this idea that insects have vitamin B12, like you mentioned. And that's mm-hmm. a big thing that uh, the vegan diet lacks. A lot of vegans turn to supplements for that. But in reality, they they could be turning to insects or already are getting a decent amount of B12 possibly in their food. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, we absolutely respect a vegan diet because there's a lot of different reasons why someone chooses to be vegetarian or vegan or or any particular uh, dietary choice. But there's a lot of people that do ascribe to the to the vegetarian or vegan diets who do so for you know nutritional reasons or environmental reasons or ethical reasons. And in a lot of ways, the the edible insect and and really the way that we can farm the insects it really provides a unique new source of protein that fits with all those parameters. It is, you know, it is nutritious, it is sustainable, and it can be raised in a fashion that's that's very humane, unlike really any other livestock, you know, domesticated animal protein we have. So even if it's, uh, even if the, if you're vegan, I mean, obviously if you're being vegan for the nutritional, the health side of it, the argument for insects is strong, but you're kind of saying that even if it is the moral side of it, there is something to be said for the rearing and consumption of insects? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of times when we talk to vegetarians, we talk to vegans, we talk about the the five freedoms for animal welfare as kind of just a, a, a framework for whether or not it, something is being raised and and slaughtered in a humane fashion. And so with insects, we can we can farm them in conditions that are amenor- amenable to their natural conditions. Uh, a lot of the species, like crickets, they prefer teeming uh, environments where they have thousands and thousands of insects in a small, dark, humid space perfect. We can farm them like that. And they have access to, you know, an an abundant food source. They don't have to worry about natural predators. They don't have to deal with parasites and diseases that they would in the wild. And then when it comes time for us to harvest them uh, and slaughter them, we can do that by just lowering the temperature and they go into a hibernation like they normally would every winter. And then they just expire in their sleep. So it's it's a way to to end the animal's life without a, a violent death or a change in state for the for the animal. Yeah, I mean, that that certainly that certainly seems to address those issues. I mean, and I think uh, I think the ethical the ethical side of it is is certainly an interesting an interesting argument to make. But I think I think at this point, the real question I think that's on our minds is when you're using words like slaughter and cultivate and farm and harvest. Let's uh, let's let's get into that. I mean, let's let's uh, switch over to kind of the sustainability that insects offer in terms of their cultivation and tell us what insect farming is. So insect farming, and I, and I think we can look at kind of two ends of the spectrum. One's going to be like a, a, a large scale commercial farm, like you think of, but insects. And the great thing about insect farming is that you can farm them in a modular fashion. You know, you can have one small area that grows insects and then you can replicate that over and over. So you can farm them vertically, which is something that you can't do with a lot of other animals. And the other end of that spectrum is a micro farming where you have someone just growing a small amount of, of insects either for their own personal use or maybe to, to take to market to, to sell. And so, you know, whether you're growing them on a large scale or on a small scale, 
we're still seeing the the benefits of uh, an increased feed conversion ratio. So they produce a lot of food for very little feed. Uh, and they produce a lot of food using very little water, very little space, and they produce very few greenhouse gas emissions compared to any other animal protein. And just a parenthetical with what you're saying here, for those of you that don't know, the feed conversion ratio, it's abbreviated as FCR, and it's a, it's a big thing in, in any livestock operation, even, even fish farming and things like that. What you're putting in to get an output, it's on everyone's radar. The more efficient, obviously, the better, particularly in terms of food system sustainability and this resource use, this is this is what insects are often toted as. I mean, that's how they ended up in Time magazine, right, was their comparison to livestock in terms of what it takes to grow them. Yeah, let me put it like this. Let's say we're starting with 10 pounds of feed. If we're growing a cow with 10 pounds of feed, we're really going to get about a pound of beef. With that same 10 pounds of feed, if you're growing crickets, you're going to get eight pounds of crickets. So for the same exact input, you're getting eight times the output. And as we've already discussed, the meat that you're getting from that cricket is actually more nutritious than the meat that you're going to get from that cow. And of course, that doesn't even take into consideration the water usage, the land usage, etc. Well, I think uh, from with my you know soil and crop background, I think that's the, the the land and the water usage. That's what really stands out to me because, like you said, I mean they're insects. They like being crowded. I mean that that's that's kind of a, a monumental difference compared to traditional livestock. But mm-hmm. but compared to when I first saw some of those original studies on the FCR of, of insects, I later kind of saw a study that maybe some people have seen that came to the surface was the UC Davis, and they were kind of going against this, right? I mean they were basically saying that maybe insects aren't as good as we first thought? Well, that's that's how it was really reported. And a lot of, uh, you know, media sites picked up the idea that crickets aren't as sustainable as, as we thought they were. But really, when you look at the study, they, they tried five different feed types and they compared uh, the efficiency of the cricket on those five different diets. And the, the diets ranged on the low end from hay and, and manure. And on the high end, it was just a, a, a traditional chicken feed that you would feed to your broiler chickens. And what they found was that, obviously, when you feed a cricket hay and manure, it's not going to do very well. That's not the cricket's natural diet by any means. And they found that on the other end, when you feed a cricket the same exact food that you're feeding to your chickens, they're still a little bit more efficient. They're not a lot more efficient, but they're a little more efficient. But that doesn't look at the possibility of using recaptured food like pre-consumer organic waste that's just going to be thrown in the landfill and using that as a food source. And it doesn't take into account all the other aspects of the sustainability argument, the water, the greenhouse gas emissions. So at the end of the day, I think what the study really showed is that crickets are as efficient as our most efficient animal protein at the worst. And at best, they're still way more efficient. And it serves as a great example that prominent universities like UC Davis are taking this idea seriously and doing serious research into it. And it's great because that inspires more people to start digging deep and pulling out the the, the data that we really want to see. Well, and I think and I think that's what's great about it, because it kind of it sparks the the argument and that sparks the conversation and that uh, kind of drives further research, because, I mean, it's kind of comical to, to be having one study talk down on another study. And those are like the only two. I mean, there's the only two. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess all we really know is that, uh, I mean, we need more research. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. But I think I think the one thing you touched on there that's really beautiful about the insect usage, uh, from what I understand, is it's waste recycling. So even if, hypothetically speaking, they were less efficient feed conversion ratio wise than beef, the fact that they are able to literally 
eat food scraps, right? I mean, that makes yeah. them, I mean, that makes the argument almost by itself. Yeah. And there's, you know, the, and beyond crickets, there's other species and, and we can get into this a little later too, but there's a lot of different species that of insects that can be eating a lot of different things. Uh, you know, for instance, if you, if, if you've got a brewery, if you have a brewery, uh, you know, you've got a lot of hops and, and yeast and, and waste coming out of that. All of that waste can then be dried and fed to uh, the insects and the insects can use that so instead of having to grow crops to feed our food we can be growing crops to feed people and then using the food waste to grow our food well that's and that's the sort of i mean that's the sort of closed loop that food systems have to turn towards because the food waste alone uh, when you look at the nutrient cycle and this is something i'm always hammering home in my videos uh, you have nutrients in the soil and you grow stuff and it's like taking a withdrawal from the bank and mm -hmm. you withdraw that and put it into food and then the food goes somewhere else and you need to get those nutrients back into the soil and if you're in america 40 percent of that food from the last estimates that i read ends up in the in the garbage literally 40 percent of our food is ending up in the garbage and then that ends up in a plastic bag, which ends up in a plastic lined pit. I mean, it could never which, work its way back in the soil. Le well, <laughs> it, it leaches into the water or it produces methane. Yeah, it well, goes into the atmosphere. <laughs> it, mixes, it mixes with battery acid and then it leaks into the groundwater. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, the waste recycling with insects, that's that's another part with them that I'm just so drawn to. It seems like such a beautiful uh, innovation. Well, one of the cool things in, in that regard is that the, you know, normally when we think about uh, animals waste, you've got manure. And manure is great for, you know, putting some of those nutrients back into the soil. But what happens with a lot of other livestock, especially in large production facilities, you get too much manure and you and you end up putting too much of a particular thing back in the soil like nitrogen, nitrates, nitrite with insects like crickets. We can actually take their poop and use it as a high quality fertilizer component because it's so it's it's just got nothing but the the what's left over from the cricket and that's all going right back into the soil all right all right but now but now now we're talking about feeding our insects manure and uh and then i and then i gotta start asking a question if i really want to eat those insects uh <laughs> no and and you don't want to eat those insects if we're feeding insects manure we can then take those insects and extract the oil from them and use the oil for biofuels or we can use the oil as an industrial lubricant uh... Uh, you know, we can we can take those insect products and use them as fiber. We can use them as uh, components for pharmaceuticals and, and cosmetics. So, yeah, that that's the the beauty of insects is that there's a species that we can use for food that's really efficient. We, there's another species that we can use as a livestock feed that's really efficient. There's another species that we can use for an industrial application that's really efficient. And and really one of the, the, the most exciting possibilities down the line is really untapping the potential of the kite the insect shell that's actually a component for chitinase and, and these other chemical derivatives that we're just now learning about all the different uses that come from those everything from you know regenerative bandages and surgical thread to uranium recapturing systems from salt water using microfibers woven out of essentially insect fragments so so i mean what what, what we're what you're saying is that insects really offer a jack of all trades i mean within the within agronomy and not just for human consumption. Absolutely. And like I said at the beginning, it's it's a resource and we don't really even understand yet how best to use it, but we need to start. <laughs> So when I, well, I think the other side of it, when you start talking about using as a livestock feed, what kind of caught my eye is I remember reading a while back about some 
innovations in aquaponic systems. And there was a guy in, in Africa, I believe, who had hooked up a electric bug zapper above his fish tank and the bugs that were getting zapped were falling in. And like you said, <laughs> chickens on farms eat insects as part of their regular diet. So we could, even if we can't get people to stir crickets into their oatmeal, we could feed them to the chickens and then feed people chicken. <laughs> Absolutely. Or, or feed them to the, the aquaculture fish and then eat the fish or you feed them to the pigs and then eat the pigs. But as far and I mean, I guess the big thing is that as a food source, then we're comparing it to other other livestock feeds. So uh, with a lot of animals, potentially it could be maybe soy or corn, which take up a huge amount of land and a huge amount of water resources, which has to be one of the bigger aspects of insect rearing. Uh, I know, I mean, obviously agriculture is by far the world's biggest consumer of water. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're talking about the amount of water we're using, you know, we're, I'm here in Texas and, and we've had drought conditions for years. California has been experiencing these drought conditions the past few years. So it's, it's on a lot of it's all a lot of people's minds. And if we're, you know, if we have a hundred gallons of water, we're going to get about six grams of beef. We're going to get about 13 grams of corn, 19 grams of chicken, 63 grams of soy, which is a lot, or 71 grams of crickets. So when we're talking about our water conservation, you know, the foods that we normally feed to our animals, like corn and soy, Insects can replace those and be more nutritious for our animals and still use less water resources on the front end. Well, and the and the water resources, yeah, like like you said, I mean that has that has most of our country and and a lot of the world on the edge of their seat right now. I mean it's it's obviously an extremely important resource, so that alone is is impressive. But when you start thinking about when you combine the fact that it's recycling waste, it's like you said potentially a super vitamin full of protein, <laughs> and it's saving water. Yeah, I mean I think I think you got some good selling points. Uh, <laughs> well, and let's not forget, you know the the. Climate talks in Paris just finished up and people are talking about greenhouse gas emissions and how do we cut back on greenhouse gas emissions? You know, just recently we've started to see that the biggest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions is not planes, trains and automobiles. It's the <laughs> agricultural sector. And a big chunk of that is coming from our protein animals. You know, cows and pigs, they, they burp and they fart. And a lot of methane and, and other greenhouse gases they start wreaking havoc. And when we're talking about crickets as an alternative or, or insects as an alternative, it, the difference is just astronomical. For instance, a, a, for beef, you know, you're going to have to get a kilogram of protein. You're going to have 2,850 grams of greenhouse gases. For the same amount of protein, you're going to have one gram from the crickets. That's 2,850 times more emissions from beef compared to crickets. And that blows my mind. Well, and that's and that's why I think a lot of people, and I think it blows a lot of people's minds when they even just realize how much agriculture is consuming of our resources. People say, you know, like turn the faucet off when you're brushing your teeth and, and ride your bike and don't drive your car. And those things help. But when you look at it, agriculture in terms of water, in terms of fossil fuels, I mean, it is taking up so much more than everything else that that's where we need to really focus our our energy as far as sustainable food systems go. A sustainable, yeah. a sustainable world, not just sustainable food systems, but a sustainable world. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess and in, in getting I mean, we've, we've kind of been touching on that, but the future of, of edible bugs. I mean, where do you where do you see this going? I mean, things have been moving quickly just in the last couple of years, right? Yeah. And I think things really started to domino effect in 2013. The Food and Agricultural Association sorry, Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN, they put out a report in May 2013 looking at how are we going to feed the world in 2050? You know, we're expecting to have nine and a half billion people by then, and we're having trouble 
feeding the people that we have already. You know, millions of children die every year from malnutrition. Millions, if not billions of people go to bed hungry and malnourished. You know, even here in America, one out of five households in America is considered food insecure because they're not getting the nutrients they need. So how are we going to deal with all these other people in the future? And, you know, really looking at edible insects as a resource and how can we start tapping into this potential and utilizing it? That's really inspired a, a, a generation of entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, people that are, are wanting to make consumer facing products, people that are starting farms, people that are starting companies. And the, the great thing about this movement is that a lot of it's really been started on the back of crowdfunding projects, where rather than a large corporation deciding that it's worth the money to do the research and the R&D and create this product and take it to market, it's people putting an, out, an idea out there and saying, I have this great idea. I want to make a protein bar out of cricket flour because it's nutritious and sustainable. And the public is the one that's making the initial funding investment to get those companies going. And that really speaks to the public saying, yes, we, we see the potential. We want these products. We're willing to pay to get these products to market. Well, and that's and that's what I think it's it's that, that's what's so cool about it. I uh, I've seen. I mean, I've seen a couple of the kickstarters as well. I mean, how how many has there been in the last couple of years alone for different protein bars? There was one crowdfunding campaign in 2012 for a protein bar. There was one in 2013 for another protein bar. In 2014, there were two campaigns: one for a chip and one for granola. And in 2015. We've seen more than two dozen successful Kickstarter <laughs> campaigns. Like it, it just shot off like a rocket. And everything from you know from cookies to to pastas to protein smoothie blends to oatmeal mixes to you know uh, documentary films. You know, so this is this is an idea that's really captured the attention and the and the the imagination of the public. People are saying, you know, I I saw this on Shark Tank or you know I read about this in Wall Street Journal or Vice or BuzzFeed. People are seeing the idea. And the great thing is that they're not seeing it as a fear factor stunt like they would have 10 years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're seeing it positioned as a piece of the puzzle of how do we fix our broken food system? Yeah. And that's and that's right. And that's what I think is great is that it, it really is. It's not like and we should eat bugs. It really is like it's part of this eat local and find alternative protein sources. I mean, it, it's tying right into the uh, the sustainable food movement that's happening right now. And it's it really I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I think they certainly they certainly deserve to have a part of that. Yeah. Well, I think I think kind of what you what you had just mentioned in the beginning there that a lot of people misunderstand about feeding the world is it's not really about calories. Like right now, people, you know, they say like, oh, the world's going to swell to nine billion people in 2050. How do we get enough calories? But when you break it down by just calories, it's not actually that much of an issue. But what it is, is nutrient dense calories. I mean, you have mm -hmm. a lot of areas in Asia where they have enough rice, like there's no shortage of white rice, but they're all going blind from a, a vitamin A deficiency. Mm -hmm. So what crickets are offering isn't just calories it's i mean it's dense nutrition and it's it's not just the dense nutrition but one of the other problems that we have with the food system is that we're not getting enough of the nutrient dense food to the people that need it most or they don't have the resources in the areas where they need the nutrition most to grow that nutritious food and insects you know micro farming of insects is is an opportunity for people in developing nations or areas of you know food deserts in developed nations even uh, it's a way for people to be able to literally grow their own food, you know, on their table scraps and have food security for themselves and their families 
or in, in, a, in a lot of places, it's an economic security. They can take those insects, take them to market. And a lot of places, the insects are more expensive in the market than chicken or beef or poultry because those cultures, you know, Central America, Southeast Asia, they value those those insects as a food ingredient. And so it's it's it really is a way to have a, a an opportunity for everybody in the world to be able to grow their own safe, healthy, nutritious food <laughs> without a lot of resources. Well, it, I mean, it sounds like uh, part of part of that argument there reminded me of what a lot of people talk about with little aquaponic systems where they have a couple fish and they grow their own spinach. And it really is cool. And on a large scale, some aquaponic systems do some pretty impressive things as far as providing both fish and vegetables. But you kind of need a big scale. I mean, you, you need a bigger operation, whereas insects, like you were saying, I mean, how small could a could a kitchen tabletop system be? Well, the, you can actually go online and there was a, one of the recent crowdfunding campaigns that just finished is called the Living Farms Hive. And it is a, a desktop mealworm micro farm. Uh, and it, <laughs> it really doesn't take up much room at all. And you you all you do is feed your table scraps, you know, your carrot tops, your apple cores, your potato peels. Uh, you feed that into the system and the, the whole thing is automated and climate controlled. So you don't have to deal with anything. And then once a week, you press a button and these little mealworms, which which are uh, they, they've got a little less protein than crickets, but they've got a lot more of the good fats. You get about a half a pound of dense, you know, nutrient dense food, and you just throw it in your freezer, wait for them to expire, and then you can throw them in the in the frying pan. You know, you saute them up with some butter and garlic. They taste kind of like bacon bits. <laughs> well, what a relief, you know, that I, that I don't have to go to the grocery store anymore for my for my mealworm omelets. I mean, that sounds that's that sounds deliciously convenient. What do we know about the mealworms, though? Are those are they one of the tastier ones? Oh, absolutely. I, <laughs> Personal they're, favorite. And they're, they're really versatile, you know, and that's one of the great things, like, you know, people ask about what what does a cricket taste like? And, uh, you know, if if you dry roast it, it has kind of like a nutty, toasty kind of aroma and flavor, uh, like roasted nuts. But if you if you do it a different way, if you uh, fry it, it can have kind of like a, a shrimpy taste. Mealworms, you cover them with cinnamon and sugar, throw them on a baking sheet, put them in the oven. They taste like cinnamon toast crunch. And then, like I said, you know, put some butter and garlic in there and they have like this really <laughs> salty, meaty flavor. <laughs> That's interesting. I wonder, I wonder if there's been, uh, have you seen any research about like the umami content of it? I mean, are they providing those amino acids that give that meaty flavor to... You know. I don't know, but I would I would not be a bit surprised because it, it does it like I mean hits the umami flavor really hits it on the head. Uh, yeah, it has kind of like that that satisfying salty meaty the savoriness. Savory. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, because if they uh, umami's hot right now, that could be a good selling point if if they can if they can get that tag on them. <laughs> well, and and one of the other cool things, and you know, this is really cool from a chef's perspective. You know, if you're a chef looking to explore new things in the kitchen. Depending on, on what the insect species is and depending on what stage it's harvested at and depending on the diet that it's fed, all these things can affect the flavor. You know, there's been a couple of, of folks that have experimented with feeding their crickets cinnamon and apples, and the crickets have that kind of cinnamon apple flavor. Oh. Uh, there's some folks that have fed the insects on uh, mint leaves, and you get some of those, you know, mentholate flavor particles in there. And so, you know, from a creative kitchen's perspective, this provides unlimited possibilities for how you can play with flavor profiles. Yeah, that's 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 something I hadn't hadn't even considered. That's very yeah. Uh, actually, I just recently saw a documentary with uh, Chef Dan Barber, and he he had found 
a really dark, rich colored pepper that he was feeding to his chickens, uh, sort of like a bell pepper. And his chickens ended up having like a red, a reddish yolk to them. (laughs) So that idea, but on a smaller micro scale, yeah, the culinary creativity is completely opened. (laughs) So, so assuming, assuming that you have been convincing enough, uh, I think everyone's wondering right now, where can, where can people get their hands on some, some insects? A couple things we always like to make sure people know before they try insects for the first time, because it is a new food, we want to make sure people know that there are possible allergies. If you are allergic to shellfish or if you're allergic to dust or dust mites, uh-huh. uh, you might want to consult with your physician first. Uh, insects are very similar to a lot of shellfish species like crabs and shrimp, and the shells are, are very similar in nature. So if you do have those allergies, talk to your physician before you give it a try. Otherwise, the other thing we like to make sure people know is don't go out in your backyard and just pick up a bug off the ground. Uh, (laughs) Unless you're in a survival situation where you're lost in the woods or you don't have another option. If you're collecting an insect from the wild, first off, there's insects that will make you sick if you eat them. You know, they're toxic. Secondly, even if you're eating the right species of insect, they can have bacteria, they can have parasites, they can have all sorts of nasty things in them just from living out in the wild. Uh, And finally, if you're collecting an insect from an area that's an urban area or an industrial area uh, or even an agricultural area, there's a risk that they could have heavy metals like lead, mercury. They could have chemicals like herbicides and pesticides and fungicides. And all of those things bioaccumulate the same way that mercury bioaccumulates with fish. So we really encourage people, if you're going to be eating insects, get them from a farm that's growing them specifically for food. That way you know that the insects are safe and clean and you know that they've been fed a quality diet so that they're going to taste great and be nutritious. Well, that's, <laughs> well, that's, I think, I think as far as, as far as fed, a you know, quality diet, that's, that's kind of raises some questions in my head. I mean, what are, what are the, uh, the standards right now of an, an American insect farm? What are they restricted to? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> restricted to, they're not really restricted. One of the interesting oh. <laughs> things about the industry is that because this is such a new idea, the regulatory bodies like the FDA, the USDA, this is something that they haven't even ever really considered. And so there's no rules about how to do this. So they've been able to provide guidance that says, you know, you should treat these food products the same way you should treat any other food product, whether it's shellfish or dairy or beef or soy or anything else. You know, you should make sure that they're free from chemical contaminants, free from physical contaminants, that there's not a risk to the consumer. But in terms of what sort of diets they should be fed, it's it's still kind of the Wild West. People are still experimenting with different diets, trying to see what works best. I think generally speaking, Vegetarian diets are really the where, where people are looking because it doesn't really make sense to feed fish to your right. insects. That kind of kills the sustainability argument. And the vegetarian diets are going to really bring out that vegetal flavors. And, and really looking at, at farms that are feeding it an organic diet, you know, if you want to make sure that your, your insects are free from GMOs. Uh, and all of these are, are options out there. Okay, and I guess, and I guess at this point too, as far as American insect farms, there probably hasn't been too many total mercenaries that have moved into the scene. I mean, if someone's farming insects for for human consumption, they probably they probably have some consumer transparency. They're probably doing doing their best. I mean, right? I mean, how many how many in America are even doing it right now? Well, yeah, not very many. Last year in twenty in twenty fifteen, there were two farms. And there's there's probably about a half a dozen farms that have started up here in the last few months that are getting still getting things going. But you can go to littleherds.org and we can help point you in the right direction for farms that, like you said, that are transparent, that are willing to share what they're feeding the insects, are willing to share the conditions that they're raised in, uh, so that, that the consumer knows that it is safe, it is clean, it is wholesome, 
and it is and it is humane. Oh, okay. So, Perf, so you guys have and you guys have that information, like a list of places that people can get their hands on some crickets or some insects on your website. <laughs> yep, both the ingredients. You know, if you're looking for either the cr- cricket flour because you want to try some baking, or the whole crickets because you just want to do some snacking, or if you're not you're not ready for that, but you're still curious. You know, there's like we said, there's companies that are doing protein bars. There's companies that are doing chips, cookies, crackers, pastas. And we can help you find those folks. Okay, cool. So, so I mean, so if any, if basically, if you're, if you, if we have been convincing enough here today, go to littleherds.org and and they'll steer you in the right direction. <laughs> Well, so I guess, and I guess the the other thing that to mention is that if you are still a little skeptical about it, uh, even though there is, I've seen some pretty innovative recipes with with insects right now. But you can just get a bag of cricket flour and you can stir it into your oatmeal. That's actually that's actually one of the only ways that I've prepared mine, and it's uh, you hardly know it's there. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a pretty easy step to take. It works just as well if you're uh, mixing it in with hummus or with yogurt. Works oh. surprisingly well. Ah, hummus. Okay, cricket hummus. Yeah, I can get on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, and then we like to let people know, you know, if if this is something you're interested in, whether you want to find more information, whether you want to share it with a friend, or if, if you want to make your, you know, you want to start up a company and make a product, there's a couple easy ways to kind of get involved with the online movement. You know, you can go search a hashtag like hashtag entomophagy or hashtag edible insects, and you're going to find other people like me and other folks out there that are sharing recipes, you know, trading ideas, and generally just getting people informed educated and empowered well and that's and that's the beautiful thing about about social media is that you know you don't realize it's there until you start exploring it and then before you know it your twitter feed is only full of people eating crickets so it's definitely <laughs> out there if you start looking and and like like he said the uh the hashtag entomophagy uh that's p-h-a-g-y at the end uh which is the scientific what what exactly does that word mean again it means it, it really translates to insect mouth it's from the greek for into for insect and phagus for mouth so it just means insect eater or insect eating insect and particularly in the case of humans eating insects Correct. <laughs> okay so uh, i think that pretty much wraps it up for today thanks for listening guys uh, rna thanks for coming on the show it was an absolute blast Ivor. and uh any any of your listeners have questions send them our way yep if you are curious or looking for more information or you want to get your hands on some bugs for your own kitchen rna is over at littleherds.org you can follow them on twitter at littleherds it's a great way to stay up to date on what's going on in the edible insect world if you want to see kind of what other people got going on or you want to share some of your own kitchen creations be sure to use the hashtags edible insects and entomophagy it's a great way to share what's going on with the movement and i i know you know it seems a little taboo seems a little crazy and weird but i really do think that it's something that has gained a lot of momentum in the last few years and that edible insects could very well play a substantial role in establishing a sustainable global food system. And in the next couple years, even, it's going to be exciting to see where it goes. Once again, uh, my name is Ivor Marge Harrison from thefoodflow.com. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time.